Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Quinn. And this is the Monstrous Woman Podcast. Fortnightly, we take an in-depth look at a woman or feminine monster who has fallen victim to the monstrous woman trope. We discuss the representation in different media, the real-world implications, and what we would change. The idea of this podcast comes from the Monstrous Feminine Theory by Barbara Creed. This theory gives us a lens to look through in considering why femininity is so often painted as monstrous. Before we jump into the episode, we do want to offer a content warning. Yeah, we're going to be discussing a lot of familial violence, uh, including emotional, physical, and verbal abuse. There's also a good deal of violence in the different iterations we're going to discuss today. If any of that sounds like a little bit much right now, please skip this episode. We always want you to take care of yourselves first. But it is our last full episode of the fairy tale series. Whoop whoop! <laughs> it is, and it's time to wrap things up, and we're talking about Lady Tremaine today, also known as the evil stepmother, but considering that doesn't give her a name, we're going with Lady Tremaine. <laughs> Lady Tremaine's a very good name, I think. It is. I feel it's, it's one of the good things that came out of the Disney version of Cinderella. Some might say the only good thing, but we'll, <laughs> we're going to discuss that in full. Um, since Cinderella is sort of the like quintessential fairy tale story, we thought it was fitting to end with her villain. Yeah, I think we all have quite a strong impression of Lady Tremaine because Cinderella just looms so large in the cultural zeitgeist. And today we're going to interrogate her character past her just being generally unpleasant. <laughs> okay, so, Megan, I read this earlier, but tell us, <laughs> what is the wardrobe question? Um, so, there has been some talk about princes. Um, <laughs> Quinn has made the, I think, completely unheard of before that episode claim that Prince Philip is the hottest Disney prince. Katie has been very pro-Prince Eric. We've gotten a lot of Prince Eric hate behind the scenes, and so I thought it was time to just decide who is the worst Disney prince. Okay, I gotta say, I'm not saying Prince Philip is the best of <laughs> all of the possible Disney princes or romantic interests. Um, wait, wait, wait. Were we ever arguing best I, I just, that's I, that's even more baffling. I don't think so. I think I just <laughs> Prince Philip is hot, and I stand by that. <laughs> and we support you in that. Yeah, we may not understand, but we support. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I think he is the best of the uh, original princes. Okay, that feels fair. Yeah. I'll stand by that. That I will stand by. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, who is the worst Disney prince? We're going to be talking about him a lot today. It's Prince Charmin, baby. He is dull oh. as a box of rocks. I, and also, I was watching Princess, or no, Princess, Cinderella 2 and 3 
we will talk about it. Uh, I actually watched three first uh, because I thought there was a chance that it might be better. I might have been a wrong gander. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he has no butt either. So yeah, he's just, there's nothing there for me. I don't like Prince Charming. He's very boring. He is very boring. I did fast forward through any scene with him in it today when I rewatched Cinderella. Mm -hmm. There Um, are other versions of, like, the Cinderella story where the prince is more... There's something more there, but Disney version? No. No. The famed ABC show Once Upon a Time... (laughs) Prince Charming is a whole character there. Um, and you could argue also Dull as a Box of Rocks. You could. That's that's fair. I actually am now searching my mind for like a plot that he was central to or a moment in that very long running show that he like motivated anything and I can't. I'm grasping <laughs> at straws here. So maybe that wasn't the best. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I agree. He's not great. He's a very, he's, he's a bland beige man. Um, however, I think for my money, oh, fuck, what's his last name? John. John Smith? Yeah, is that it? That sounds so basic, it doesn't sound right. Yeah. Yes, it is John Smith. The, based on oh, a wow, real character so with ba- the most bland that's name so possible. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think. I mean, I think we. Ha- I have to pick the colonizer. Yeah. Like he's so. Also, he, also so bad. the anti-Semite <laughs> or voiced by an anti-Semite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you, anything that you look closer into John Smith, he gets worse. Like the more critically you engage with that movie, the worse mm-hmm. it gets. Um. And so I think for my money, it it is John Smith. Um, also, the way he's drawn is just very. I don't like it. I don't like. I don't like his character design. Nope. I don't like the way he interacts with Pocahontas. I don't like that he actively colonizes people. It's just a big no for me. I think. <laughs> what is terrible is I think, for a really long time as a kid, Pocahontas really was fighting for first place for me with Mulan Mm. until I I remember like when I was in like I was like 13 or something and I learned the actual story of Pocahontas and I was like oh no (laughs) and yeah yeah it hasn't really rung um the movie hasn't been the same um yeah. Yeah. Mulan was definitely number one for me as a kid, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mulan has now is just steadily number one. I was very mad at the, the live action. Where were my songs? I just wanted a song. I was not the target demographic, but I was still somehow angry that they didn't, like, market to me. But that's fine. It's in the past. I'm really bad at, like, watching movies that are completely not my uh, target demographic. Like, I'm just like, ooh, yes, I shall watch Sing 2. Like, <laughs> and then 
and you're like really cr- you're like really hard on that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, how dare they do this to this Miss Piggy character? I have no Reese Witherspoon voiced character. <laughs> Yeah. I shouldn't have picked Sing 2. I don't know much about that. (laughs) (laughs) I did watch the Enola Holmes movie, like, two days ago, and I think those movies are, like, very charming and everything, but there were moments where I was like, they're really over-explaining the plot here, and then I'm like, well, (laughs) it is for 11-year-olds, so maybe, maybe I should, maybe I should just shut the fuck up and watch it, (laughs) and know that it's not actually for me, and not, like, criticize. <laughs> the exposition. I know it's so bad. Like when you're like watching something, like oh god, this is so childish, and it's like, oh yeah, it is for it is children. Okay, in the cool. most literal cool. sense for children. <laughs> but jumping in now, <laughs> turning to get back on track, we are gonna visit our last original fairy tale today. Hurrah! Sort of back on track. Were we ever off? We're talking about period pieces. No, I mean, yeah. It's all going to stay in. <laughs> so we think, you know, everyone eventually learns that Disney's version that we're shown as kids isn't the whole picture. But it is really interesting to actually get to read and discuss these stories in their original forms. That being said, Megan, do you want <laughs> to give us the summary I do. I'd be happy to. I did take a sip of water in preparation. So this is Cinderella by the Grimm Brothers. But it's important to note that this is not actually the first iteration of the story. But it was actually an oral story told by and for women with origins as far back as the Silk Road. The Grimm Brothers just took it and wrote it down and monetized it. As they always do. So a mother... As they always do, those bastards. (laughs) So if you take anything away from the series, maybe take that away. So a mother has become sick and she knows she's going to die and leave behind her daughter with her rich husband very soon. So she tells her daughter to always be quote unquote pious and good. So God will be kind to her. Why you would have to earn a God with unlimited resources kindness in order to be treated well is kind of its own issue but we're not really going to go into that right now um she always vaguely says that it's the only way she can be proud of her daughter from heaven is if she's pious and good also super questionable but basically the woman dies and like six months later the rich man remarries so now the daughter has a stepmother and two stepsisters who treat her like a servant and they call her cinderella now here's something really important and i think the main thing that disney really convolutes and waters down is that Her name is Ella, and they make her sweep up cinders, so then they call her Cinderella. It is a mean nickname, not her actual Christian name. Mm -hmm. So just keep that in mind. So then the father is also abusive by neglect, but not anything more. And that's me saying that. The story certainly does not. Yeah. But Cinderella remains. He he is alive. That's what makes it abusive. (laughs) He doesn't do anything. Yeah. Yes, because, like, we as adults can recognize neglect as abuse. The story does not blame the man for a second. No. So, um, yeah, but through it all, Cinderella remains pious and sweet, and this treatment continues for years, but the story positions her as good because she isn't greedy and she doesn't complain about how she's being treated, which 
we have so many issues with that we will dive into. Eventually, the prince invites all the single women to a ball, and somehow that's not creepy. And Cinderella asks to attend, and her stepbrother is like, only if you pick up every lentil, and she scatters a bunch of lentils on the ground. Cinderella recruits some cute little forest animals, and then they help her pick up all the lentils in time, but it was a trick, and her stepmother won't let her go anyway, so Cinderella goes to her mother's grave and cries, but then the birds bring her a beautiful dress, (laughs) and she goes to the ball. Hurrah! No one (laughs) recognizes- Somehow, no one recognizes her there, just because she changed outfits. And she dances with the prince all night. The prince wants to walk her home and speak with her father. But Cinderella just sprints away and hides. (laughs) And when the prince tries to find her, Cinderella's dad is like, oh, there's no way you're looking for her to be your wife. That's absurd. Which is, like, really rude of her father. And then this happens three nights in a row. (laughs) And on the third night, the prince lays a trap so that one of her shoes falls off. It doesn't happen naturally. The prince traps her like an animal. And then he goes to Cinderella's house and he's like, you're going to try this shoe on so I can finally prove it's you. But first, both stepdaughters try to trick the prince by cutting off parts of their feet. But it doesn't work because there's blood. So then he's like, oh, let me see Cinderella. Of course, the shoe does fit. So then they get married because that's like a rational way to decide who your future spouse is going to be. And mind you, also ruler of a kingdom. (laughs) Women don't do anything. They don't rule. (laughs) That's true. As long as they're the right shoe size, it's really the only qualification. Mm -hmm. And according to Cinderella 2, or no, Cinderella 3, it's a four and a half. That's so small. It's so small. That was my shoe size when I was like, nine yeah. i think because the king makes fun of the prince for being like he's like oh what you're gonna like you think there's only one woman in this entire kingdom with a size four and a half shoe and i heard that and i was like yes <laughs> yeah there probably is that's so small which i mean if you have size four and a half feet that's amazing like good for good for you You'd probably get but all the like a weird... choice sample shoes but <laughs> you probably get very very inexpensive shoes because you're probably buying children's shoes still but anyway (laughs) um so then at the wedding both the stepsisters get their eyes pecked out as punishment for being wicked Mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and that's basically where we end things happily ever after isn't it yeah i think that was the last line Mm -hmm. and it's you know that's what this means so (laughs) let's Let's dive in a little bit. Mm, where where should we start, Quinn? There's there's so many places we could. Oh, uh, let's start at the very beginning then. Uh, what a wonderful place to start. Um, <laughs> so, um, what do we think about um the mother, Cinderella's mother? Uh, is sometimes she's like a, the nature spirit that is like in the tree and like her like so Cinderella cries on the tree it grows and uh in her mom's memory and so that's the fairy godmother of it all her mother's spirit because she's blessing mm-hmm. her daughter for being so sweet and pious yeah which To clarify, because I don't know that I knew what this word meant before I was, like, reading Greek myths and not everybody has that as a hobby. Pious is, like, godly Mm -hmm. and, like, devoted to, like, religiously devoted. So, 
quite an odd thing to tell a child to prioritize. And it feels very grim, as in with two M's. It feels very, it feels like something that they would have inserted into the story. Yes. Yeah, certainly the, um, the women on the Silk Road were not probably concerned with piousness. Yeah, it, maybe it was like, be a good daughter, or respectful or there might have been something else but it does seem very it's very uh christian based it seems which is quite odd and i think i think what's so strange about the relationship between cinderella and her mother is that she seems to be hyper aware that once she dies cinderella's life is going to get very bad yeah but she doesn't she doesn't prepare her for that in any like tangible way she doesn't you know, plead to her father on her daughter's behalf to, like, be attentive to her. She doesn't try to help Cinderella become, like, streetwise in any way that would be helpful. Maybe this is her trying to tell her this is her way to survive. If you're pious and sweet, that's how you survive. Yeah, and I think that is her intention, but it's just so odd to go that route, just to be like, well, no matter what they throw out, you just take all of the abuse and be sweet. Mm -hmm. And, like, somehow, which is, like, very Christian of, like, even if you suffer horribly in this life, like, you better still be devoted enough because then you'll get a good eternity. Yeah. And, like, maybe it's allegory for that? Mm-hmm. It, it, and it also, could also be sort of, like, a good karma type thing. I, I, I don't know, like, sort of, like, you're doing good, so good will have to come back to you. Yes. And I think those sort of simplistic morals that one don't work out in the real world but two are very digestible for children and like kind of ways to trick them into behaving like are quintessential to fairy tales like that's sort of the building blocks of them Mm -hmm. even if they don't hold up exactly it's like as soon as you sort of start picking at it it starts to crumble um but it's a good initial band-aid a good initial explanation yeah yeah it's sort of one that doesn't take any like social implications into consideration right because like maybe if the world was actually equitable then being good would bring good things but because the world isn't and you can have all of these oppressed identities and like the rich get richer despite their their behavior and their exploitation you can't just be pious and sweet or pious and good and have it all work out yeah yeah i was reading something and i didn't get all the way through it um before we had to record because i was also watching cinderella 2 for no apparent reason uh, <laughs> at the same time as trying to read this thing uh but it was talking about the spirit of nature in the cinderella story and how uh interesting sort of the connection between the mother's spirit and then the nature and how how most of the gifts in the original in the Grimm story it doesn't come from a fairy godmother it comes from like the trees come has the and the a nut or something like that you know yeah that is really interesting um because i think the version that we see now and as popularized now feels very removed from nature and like you wouldn't even think that those roots really existed Mm -hmm. because to me the like the parts that have survived of which is essentially just cinderella's like connection to the animals feels like they like just a symbol of her femininity and like the innate harmony that femininity is supposed to have 
Yeah. Um, not, not necessarily any sort of, like, not that they're sending a message that there's anything beneficial about being, like, particularly at peace with nature. Yeah, because it's not like she's at, she's not, like, in the original story, she's going out into the woods, and it's a little spooky, mm-hmm. but in, like, the Disney version, she's just in her house talking to the the house mice, or, like, you know, and uh, the dogs, yeah. and the bir- the songbirds that come flying over. She's not going in and talking to the, I don't know, I literally just thought of a bunny as something that lives in the woods, and that's not scary at all. Uh, <laughs> a bear, maybe? A bear, yeah. I don't think bears live in France, wherever they are supposed to be. Is this set in France? I think so. I feel like they're supposed to be in France. Yeah, you're right. Why are all the princesses French? <laughs> yes. That's so the funny. Charles Perrault, or whatever his name that guy that the Grimm stole. Our stole. good friend Charles. Yep. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, now that we've talked about Cinderella's mother, about Cinderella's father? Yeah, let's talk about the neglectful ass. <laughs> yeah. Because... Okay, so going a little bit deeper into the story, and, like, we'll definitely talk about him in the other versions as well, because his role is interesting, just in the way that, like, men escape blame at every turn. Um, But, so in this story, he marries this woman, and then he is witness to her abusing his daughter, um, and does absolutely nothing about it, makes no move to help. Cinderella makes no move to and is really sort of left out of the story altogether like he's not mentioned much he seems very absent to the women's world of like this domestic labor in the household um and like you could imagine maybe he travels a lot for work or whatever it is but that that innate gendered separation is what allows like such extreme neglect right like he probably has no idea what's happening Mm -hmm. with his daughter and her treatment um and that is so like he's so responsible for her and it's it's wild that the story positions him as just like a small plot device that you're not supposed to point any blame towards because neglect is abuse it's it's a very severe form of abuse yeah well like there's like is he i I haven't read the original story in a while i should have reread that um in the last few days and i didn't um but is he the, does he ride into town at one point and come back with gifts um for the mm-hmm. stepsisters and her or is that a different version yeah and like i'm trying to remember i don't know that the grims wrote that part down okay but i know that that is in many iterations and i know that like cinderella asks for like a branch yeah like, like she asks for like the that, like, first thing that hat. touches your nose or something like that yeah. I get that version of the dad really reminds me of and I know we haven't talked about this in our fairy tale series, but the dad in Beauty and the Beast where it's like he mm-hmm. has uh two annoying daughters who want silk gowns and jewels and finery and he has Belle who just wants a rose and Oh, how nice it is that she just wants something so low maintenance. And, <laughs> and that's sort of yeah. the uh, 
shining quality of Belle out of between the her her and her sisters is that she just wants the rose. She wants the cheap thing rather than the thing that costs a lot of money. And I feel like that's sort of just another sort of way to separate um, these women who it's just like, well, if, if, if the stepsisters had known that you were going to shame them for asking for things, they probably wouldn't have asked for anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this is actually something my brother and I have been talking about, um, like recently is just the how how dangerous and nefarious father-daughter relationships often are and how it's this really really strange dynamic of like you get to be the exception up to your father hating women Mm -hmm. up until you become an adult and then it's like oh no now you're a woman and that's different. That's different than being a girl. And now you're a threat and you need to know your place. And it, it and it's like particularly heartbreaking for mothers who get sort of turned on by their daughters in an effort to be in the good grace of their father. Um, but they know that that doesn't last long term, right? Like they've already experienced that. Yeah. And so they're just like sad to see what their daughter do the same. And it is very cyclical and it is very nefarious. And it's not, it's certainly not something I experienced with my father, but it's something I've seen a lot in my life and also, like, read and, like, studied in my sociology courses and things like that of just, like, your father has so much power over daughters in particular and can use it in incredibly abusive ways. And Cinderella is not necessarily expecting her stepmother to love her. I don't think that the abuse at her hands comes as a surprise. She probably was expecting her father to protect her Mm -hmm. and to love her. And I think that as much as she hates the treatment she endures at the stepmother's um, hands, the neglect of her father is probably a much more visceral, deeper pain because there was an expectation there that he's not meeting. And it's like the bare minimum, too. Yeah. And what's wild, even more wild, is this is not a conversation that would have been had back when this story came out or for hundred years, uh, right. hundreds of years afterwards. Because... Well, yeah, fathers don't have that much interaction with their children uh, in the raising of. Mm-hmm. Why would you think that he would be able to stop this anyway? It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, that that in and of itself is, like, so hard for me to wrap my head around and comprehend. And And I think it's, I mean, it's my privilege of having grown up with a good dad that I think that's so absurd because there are certainly fathers who are not involved in the raising Mm -hmm. of their children, even if they live in the same house as their kids today, (laughs) that's certainly still happening. Um, I saw someone recently say something to the effect of like, there are married single mothers everywhere. And it's, it's true. Like there are lots of women still doing the extra 40 hours labor that running a household requires while dad is is not present even if he's there and um but i think now like there's enough people able to at least recognize and and note it as a problem whereas before it was just the expectation i'm reading sense and sensibility right now and like one of the lines in it is one of the couples um the couple who owns the property that the uh dashwoods are able to stay on after they're destitute 
um, it's like, yeah, they're, they, they have enough money to not need to work. So like his, his hunting, his hobby is hunting and her hobby is raising children. Oh my God. And I, and she's lucky because her hobby lasts all year or something like that. And I was like, what the fuck? Like he's their fucking father. Yeah. Oh, that. Raising children is not a hobby. That hurts. That hurts a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. So good luck to everybody who ever desires to marry a man. Yeah. But after this conversation, I should say, if my dad ever listens, um, I do love you. You're a wonderful father. You are not one of the fathers that we just mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> we both had fathers who are the exception. Thank God. Thank yes. God. Yes. But I, do, I know plenty of fathers that aren't, and it's horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think another, like, as much as the gendered, gendered expectation of parenting lets off um, the father, and that's sort of a nefarious undertone in the story, so is Cinderella's general passivity. Like, she's a, she is a victim of abuse, and she's being praised and rewarded for not being upset about it. Yep. And that is a really dangerous message to send. And if you think about it, it's a dangerous message to send today, but in... 1800s am i right is this the 1800s mm-hmm. early 1800s i should know that okay in early 1800s germany where we were not re- uh, recognizing domestic violence and familial abuse as a problem like that is even more terrifying you know like there were little girls who heard this story who were being abused and were in be- essentially the takeaway was supposed to be like you be a good little girl and one day you'll get rescued yep go tree cry on that tree over there Bottle it all in. Or let it out on that tree. Yeah. Go hang out at your dead mom's grave, and that's your only way out. Mm-hmm. Maybe some guy will see you there and be like, ooh, hot, sad girl. Yeah. And I think in, in a world where, like, we have recently... Okay, so now's the part of the episode where Megan says something incredibly controversial. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> I think in a world where we have just seen the fallout of the Amber Heard-Johnny Depp trial and we are now seeing other powerful men like Brad Pitt attack their victims and their survivors publicly the way he's trying to do with Angelina Jolie, despite these men, both Johnny Depp and Brad Pitt, having been convicted of assault and domestic violence previous to their trials. Um, I think it's really scary to to read these stories about perfect victims because it you can discredit a woman for any reason any reason and people will turn on her it can be as simple as you wearing the wrong clothes it could be as simple as you finding back one time out of the hundreds of instances of abuse um it could be as simple as your story not being clear because you've been gaslit for you know years or months or weeks or however long um and that works with your sense of reality and your sense of time and any of those are reasons for you to not be believed and so to read this story of a of a literal child experiencing abuse like somebody who could not be more innocent and like she's still told to like be good enough to be a victim is like really really scary to think about and and definitely not something that i want anybody to internalize because like being a survivor like there are no no extra guidelines that come along with that. Like, you are allowed to behave however you need to in order to get yourself out of that situation, like, as safely as you can. And you're not responsible for maintaining piety during that. Well said. 
And uh, just to tag on with Cinderella as a survivor, as a kid, I remember I went to the county fair, whole wonderful place, and uh, we were in the expo center because that's the only place at the county fair that has air conditioning. Uh, (laughs) So hundreds of people sweating in in lines looking at booths, uh, being forced pamphlets and candy. Later, I was going through all these pamphlets and candy, and I found I had a bookmark. And on that bookmark, it looked like there was a silhouette of Cinderella. And I was like, awesome, I have a Cinderella bookmark. That's different. Mm-hmm. On, and then on reading that bookmark, it said, Cinderella didn't, or Cinderella didn't leave her part, or only, what did, oh my god, I had it earlier. Oh, Cinderella didn't, or only lost her shoe at the party, or something like that. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, it was Cinderella only lost her shoe at the party, and it was being handed out by a, uh, uh, oh my gosh, pro-life group. What the fuck? Okay, sometimes I think people think I'm joking when I, like, reference my anger and connection to gendered issues. And I'm not. It's never an exaggeration. Yep. But I think, like, in moments like these, I'm really, like, am I usually, do I usually think murder is, like, a negative thing? Absolutely. In this specific case, <laughs> do I think we could make a point for it to be, it to have, you know, the good outweigh the bad? You know, like, if we're looking at a karma-type scale, do we think it's still tipping the positive? And maybe yes, is all I'm saying. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember I had it, I asked my mom about that, and she was just like, that is a terrible thing. And I sort of had to read it because it was like, I was a kid. I was probably, I was definitely under 12. And I remember just like rereading it over oh and over God. again and being like, oh, I get it now. Oh, that's not good. Oh my God. <laughs> I grew up around a lot of that rhetoric, and, um, I think a lot about my mom in those situations because my mom is very quiet around others. Like, she's very shy. And I think a lot about how she's very good at standing up for her herself in situations like I, I've mentioned before. Like, the reason I think I'm so, like, fiery is because of the way that I saw her handle, like, slights and, and microaggressions and things like that. But also... She was, like, rather shy, and if if there was, like, a group of a bunch of adults talking and discussing, they were all on the same page, and she was the only one who felt differently, like, she she tended to be more quiet, so I didn't always know how she felt about things till I was older and I was questioning things, and she was like, no, no, like, I was sort of waiting for you to get there, and, like, abortion was one of those things where, like, my mom's had, um, experiences where, like, she knows people who needed abortions, and, um, and so had a very different view than our, like, hyper-religious community did who hadn't ever been a part of the real world the way my mom has and also things like um who is and isn't a worthy survivor like my mom was just much more understanding of like what that looks like and things like that and I remember around the time that Brett Kavanaugh was being put up for the Supreme Court and um Dr. Ford came forward with her testimony her experience of having been assaulted by him 
And I remember, like, my mom's reaction compared to, like, every other adult in my life was so different. And it was, like, a big eye-opener for me of just being, like, oh, wow. Like, there are so many people who just don't give a fuck. And, like, Mm -hmm. she actually has some idea of, like, what's gone on in this person's life. And, like, looking back, like, just how awful it is to, like, sit in a room and hear everybody, like, pick apart a survivor. And knowing that, like, if something happens to you, like, these people will not give a fuck. And it's so dark. Yeah, it's so dark. Yeah, this story is, like, really fucking mm-hmm. heavy. Like, if you think about it for three seconds. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh my god, this, it is, it, it's about normalizing abuse, and it, it, it's a story mm-hmm. for children. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it is supposed to be the, like, ideal version of femininity, and to them, the ideal version of femininity is accepting abuse, and that's mm-hmm. so alarming. Yeah. And even down to, like, the fact that, Cinderella doesn't ever ask to be a princess. Like, we never see her express that desire. She is trapped by the prince. She tries to get away from yeah. him. She seems to want to go to the ball. She doesn't seem to want to become the prince's wife. Yeah. She wants to go to a party. And then he traps her like an animal. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess she'll probably have to, she'll be able to go to more parties when she's the princess rather than the scullery maid. Um, but... Mm-hmm. She didn't have a choice in that. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I can't think of any of the tales that we've read where, like, the women have autonomy. Mm-mm. Like, the the villains have a bit of autonomy, but they're being <laughs> positioned as bad. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of stepmother, she is making mm-hmm. clear steps here. She is. She's making money moves. Yeah, she's... All about getting a good marriage for her daughters and she, I feel and for herself. She is very much a woman of the world, it seems. She knows how the world works and all of its unfortunate rules. And she's trying to do the best for her kids. And I love I like yeah. we haven't really talked about all of the different versions, but I feel like a steady <laughs> cur- like a steady thing throughout the versions of the stepmother is that she does not believe in love or else she has it, yes. or else she just has no faith in it or some something to that and it like i think it it's so it's so wild that she's positioned as just the unredeemable bad guy in mm-hmm. every version it seems it, like well not every version we'll talk about it but but nearly. Yeah, nearly. Yeah. It is. And I mean, I think we're all, I think we're all quoting Amy March in our heads. Marriage may not be an economic proposition for you, but it certainly is for me. Yeah. And it is so, it is like a fundamental feminist understanding that you cannot blame oppressed people for the way that they survive oppression. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. And the fact is that whatever Lady Tremaine does to Cinderella was done to Lady Tremaine first. Yes. And that does not excuse her behavior because individuals do need to be responsible for breaking cycles of abuse. My mother is a survivor of abuse who broke the cycle within our family. Like, it is completely possible. And And you are, like, brave and amazing for doing that. But let us remember that by positioning the only adult woman with autonomy in this story as a as perpetuating abuse but not acknowledging the abuse that she had isn't useful like when we write stories about abuse 
we sh- these are not the stories that are useful to tell. Mm-hmm. Because all it's doing is punishing her for her autonomy, not taking any sort of look at the system and why she would be behaving this way and feel the need to do this. Yeah. You didn't watch the Camilla Cabello whatever version, right? I have not watched Amazon Studios Girlboss yes. Cinderella. I have All right. Not. <laughs> Again, I'll get you that password. Uh, just because I really yeah. want you to see <laughs> Adina Menzel as the stepmother. Because I think she, I really want to She see does like give that extra, like she does give a little bit more background, um, and sort of like mm. you, you get some of her trauma, um, sort of what you get where she's coming from, and she doesn't so like she doesn't sort of like see the light in any way. Uh, she still is the evil stepmother, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but um, she does have an awesome solo that can make you weep if you're on a bad day (laughs) (laughs) yeah and if anyone can play a morally gray character it is adina it is let's all just take a minute to remember maureen from (laughs) ren let's take a minute to remember alphaba from wicked let's take a minute to remember elsa from frozen she plays complicated women and she plays them very well that she does and I could honestly go on about every actress who has ever played the stepmother. Like, oh my god. Speak of Bernadette Peters icons. once more. <gasps> A pantheon of icons. And you know why these uber-talented women play villains? Because playing the roles of, like, quote-unquote good women in media for so long was so boring. It is. Like... That is also why 90% of our episodes are about villains. Like, please point us to the he- the heroine that we can make an, an, a two-hour episode about. <laughs> they simply have not existed. I know. We were talking about Cinderella. We're done with her. We're talking about other people yeah. who are more interesting. She's not going to come up again this episode. <laughs> we, we, we've completely... We've completely dried that resource up because Miss Girl doesn't speak or have her own wants or desires. <laughs> she wants to clean those lentils. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, and play with her little mice friend and that's it. <laughs> and uh, Whereas the stepmother is making strong fashion decisions. She's making strong decor decisions. Mm-hmm. She's, she's having, you know, interesting pets. She is getting her very awkward daughters into marriages that will benefit both them and her. Yes. She's amazing. That's a lot to balance. And uh, as I I said, Bernadette Peters, I feel like I should mention Christine Baranski Mm -hmm. just out of respect. Mm -hmm. Of course. (laughs) I'm sort of doing the like, I don't know, what is this even called? The like half like where you like touch your forehead and then your shoulders. (laughs) I'm being pious. What is that called? Is that a Hail Mary? Um, wait, doing the sign of the cross? Yeah, what is That's that? That's the sign of the cross. Okay, I was doing the sign of the cross because yeah. that felt right. Yeah. But I... That's not the specific brand of religious trauma that I have. I don't know very much about Half of my family is Catholic, and they do that in, like, every, like, whatever, Thanksgiving <laughs> prayer. And for a long time, I was, like, felt real... Like, when I was a kid, I felt pressured to do it with me with them. But I didn't know it. And there's a movie, I don't know if you've seen it, called Van Helsing with uh, Hugh Jackman. It's a terrible movie. Fucking love it. It's amazing. <laughs> there's, like, it's, it's Van Helsing. He goes to kill the vampires... 
Um, uh, and there's some female vampires, and at one point they go, Moishka, kill the stranger. And it's just, I laugh every time. Uh, <laughs> there's just so many amazing, amazing points in that movie. But every time he kills a monster, he does the sign of the cross. And that's how I learned how to mm. do it. I think I think something to mention in regards to the sem- the evil stepmother in this story is that we don't want this conversation to come across as like excusing abusers or making excuses for abusers because those things don't exist. We just are also trying to hold the very real world fact that 96% of people who perpetuate abuse are men, over 70% of survivors are women, even when men are the victims of abuse, overwhelmingly men are the abusers. And so to write this story is a man writing a woman very incorrectly. And that is what we are commenting on, not the actual behaviors of the evil stepmother within the story. Yeah, I think reading the stepmother, it's, I I don't, like, with a modern perspective, it's completely, you can see exactly where she's coming from every step of the way. Yes. Unless, or uh, other than uh, her treatment of Cinderella. I think it's sort of, that's sort of the only thing that does it sort of translate to a modern audience of why she favors her biological daughters over her stepdaughter. But even that, that also rings to, like, things you sort of see in everyday life. That that does happen, unfortunately. Um, so, mm-hmm. so it's a strangely modern story, but there's the, all the wrong takes. <laughs> That's such a good way to put it. Like, yes, it is timeless, but we have to really reevaluate the way in which we're interpreting it. Mm-hmm. You know, in like, we were supposed to be on Cinderella's side, and we ended up on both Cinderella and the evil stepmother's side because there's a lot more to take into account than the Grimm brothers were intending. Yeah. And, like, even the step, like, the stepdaughters, we'll talk about that too. Mm-hmm. Like, they are, like, in the original story. They're blinded. Not only are they hobbled with their feet, they are then blinded by birds. They are not the number one aggressor here. They are not the one putting the shoe on their foot. Their mother is putting that shoe there. I, uh, there's so many problems with them being the scapegoats because that's what they are. They're not the people that... Yeah. They were also victims of abuse. Nope. They are exactly scapegoats. That's exactly right. And the only justification we really get for treating them that way is we are told that they are awkward and ugly. And that is why it is okay. Yep. Because they were undeserving of the things that they did get. And so just like Cinderella remained pious and good and eventually married a prince, um, the stepsisters got pretty dresses and got to go to a ball and they were eventually mutilated. And that was punishment yes. for being ugly and having opportunities. Mm-hmm. And Which not only that, they horrific. are like made to choose to self-mutilate. So it's like, it, mm-hmm. it's... Which is so dark. Yeah. And it almost feels like that's why they get blinded in the story. It's like, oh, you chose to do some self, do self-harm. So you, it, you must not mind being blind now for the rest of your life. And, like, as much as, as you were correct in saying that the the stepmother puts the shoe on, like, 
the, their feet. Yeah, Society yeah. also yes. puts the shoe on their feet because they are being presented with a way out and a way up. Mm-hmm. And they are willing to, do, like, to them in that moment, their, their feet seems a small price to pay when you're looking at a life where you'll never really need to walk. Yeah. And that is... That is, like, the best of opportunities that they're ever going to see in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. And we have set up a society where they're put in that position, and then we punish them for going after it. Yeah. And it's not like we see any other um, options in the original story for them to go to. And a lot of the reta- right. retellings, like, they don't get uh, love interests or anything a, a lot of the no. time. They're very much afterthoughts. Mm-hmm. It's really harsh, like, all of the interpretations, like, all of the different versions of this story treat the stepdaughter, or stepsisters, just as cruelly, 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 that's the word, uh, as the stepmother, if not more, and it's very twisted, And, uh, and I sort of wonder if it's like, oh, well, they, they might not have been as evil for as long as the stepmother, but because they came from her loins, they must be that evil inherently. They are corrupt. So they must be punished as such. I do sort of want to also say uh, it's interesting. So the the stepsisters, they are like, okay, they're the ugly stepsisters, but uh, they also have all these beautiful clothes and things. I sort of wonder if it's like maybe it's sort of seen as like, oh, they're trying, they're entrapping men. They are, uh, oh, they are making themselves more beautiful, seem more beautiful than they are. So they're trying to ensnare things that they don't deserve. Maybe that's why they way they get punished. Yeah, that really fits in with a principle that I think you and I have slowly discovered to be, like, a universal truth of media of, like, you are supposed to be beautiful, but it is supposed to be effortless. Yes. And you are very much punished for, like, painting beauty or femininity onto you. Mm-hmm. You know, we can think of Rita Skeeter. Yeah. We can think of Ursula. Like, there are there are so many examples. And I think that that might be exactly right of, like, you were, you were being uh, deceitful with your finery like you're actually awkward and ugly Mm -hmm. yeah i think like as much as i love cinderella brandy um but there is that scene where they're getting uh, the stepsisters are getting dressed and they're getting tied into the corsets and stuff and it's like you don't need to breathe it's fine (laughs) like like, you don't laugh that way Oh, your your knees are creaking. Don't bend your knees. Stuff like that. It, it's like, okay, so I can't be myself. Cool. Love it. Exactly. Exactly. In the in yeah. the third Cinderella movie. <laughs> bringing it back. Bringing it back. Anastasia is full on transformed into Cinderella. And the whole moral is, I don't want this. I want to be me, and I want someone to love me for me. Not that they give her a love interest or any kind of redemption. And the other one is turned into a toad. You can only redeem one stepsister. Can't have two nice stepsisters. No, no. That's impossible. Well, okay. Yeah. Uh, We're just... 
We're just stacking up reasons on why we're going to watch Cinderella. I know. I, I know. Yeah, exactly. But morals. Um, yeah. Yes. I think um, beauty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that seems to be the overall moral. <laughs> and beauty as like concretely being linked to internal goodness. Mm-hmm. And, like, for young girls, you can guarantee that if they're pretty, they are good. And if they're ugly, they are bad. And, like, that's a fair and fine standard by which to judge them. Mm -hmm. If she's ugly, she must be mean. If she's beautiful, she's nice. That's what Cinderella taught me. And also, like, have as little autonomy as possible. Because, like, the prince will literally catch you. So, like, there's no need to Mm -hmm. pursue anything. And do what you're asked. Um, don't complain, mm-hmm. but don't, a- and don't ask for anything. I suppose, like, be pious and good. They did sort of write that yeah, in there. Yeah, it's um, just be pious and good. Yeah. It's very cringy. It is. Don't recommend. Because, like, what do you expect her to, like, It. we don't get this. Like, it, there is no sort of alternate ending like there is for Sleeping Beauty of what happens after they get back to the castle. What do you think happens when they get back to the castle? Is the prince a good dude? Like, uh, is she just expected no. to be pious no. and good? Like, uh, um, no. Like, yeah. I, I don't see it going well. No, no, I think if he was a good dude, he probably wouldn't have set a trap for her. And we can assume yeah. that this will not be a good marriage. Mm-hmm. Like, I love, um, that's part, part of, one of the reasons I love Into the Woods is because in the second act, it's revealed that Prince Charming mm-hmm. isn't shit and he's cheating on Cinder- or Cinderella, like, already, like, immediately goes out and finds someone yep. else. And, uh... And multiple someone else's. And there's a moment in the woods, after all. Uh, <laughs> but I, 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 I will. I love that twist. I love that twist so much in that play um, because it's just like, yes, he. We don't know anything about him. He was just this ideal. He he came with a castle. Yes. Yes. There was no other thought than get out of my situ out of her situation that she was in, you know? Uh and now she's in a yeah. castle and she's miserable as ever. Yeah, he really is just an ideal. And I think I think that the truth of it is is that the stepmother ends the story with much more autonomy than Cinderella. Mhm. And that we're and it it kind of goes back to that myth I don't know if you ever heard this growing up, but a big thing in, like, the Christian community is, like, men want to be respected and women want to be loved. And you get, you're, you grow up being told this. And I remember being, like, nine and being, like, I would rather you respect me already. Like, I know that that's true. <laughs> um, but I think, I think when you tell people that and then you give them stories like Cinderella, it's like, oh, Cinderella must be so happy. But it's like, no, the evil stepmother probably is still in a better position here. <laughs> yeah. It's like she still does have autonomy over a household. Mm-hmm. Though it does seem, in every version, it does seem like they're on the poorer spectrum. It's like they once had wealth. Uh, 
but the this yeah. stepmother is uh, overspending or something like that, and they become broke. It's such a wild story. It really is. It doesn't, it doesn't get better yet. Do you want to talk about <laughs> um, the Disney's version? Because of we're course. not, we're not out of the woods. Of course. Let's rewind before Cinderella's two and three. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which we have covered extensively. Let's talk about. But not enough. What we all think of. No, never enough. But this is this is what we all think of when we hear Cinderella, and it's probably one of the first films we ever saw. Mm-hmm. And here is that beautiful, beautiful IMDb summary. <laughs> Cinderella, the beautiful and kind-hearted daughter, sees her world turn upside down when her beloved mother dies and her pained father remarries another woman, the wicked Lady Tremaine, who has two equally cruel daughters, the jealous Anastasia and Drizella. But once more things will go from bad to worse when Cinderella's father too dies, leaving her all alone in ladies' clutches to serve as her maid of all work. Under those circumstances, a shabby and neglected Cinderella doesn't stand much of a chance of attending the king's royal ball, let alone captivate the handsome prince, unless she turns to her loving fairy godmother, who has quite a few tricks up her sleeve. Nevertheless, will the wrong damsel ever find peace? And with it, her own Prince Charming? I love IMDb. Okay. Sometimes. So overdramatic. Yeah. I love that they didn't mention the mice bad. whatsoever. <laughs> the true stars of the movie. I know. Um, Gus and Jacques. Yeah. Also, Lucifer and Bruno, shout out. Yeah, Bruno's very cute. Yes. Does the horse have a name? I enjoyed him in this rewatch. I don't think so. Not one that I paid attention to. Yeah. But as we've established, I fast forward through a lot of these rewatches, so wouldn't have caught it. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the changes that they make to Lady Tremaine to start. So, you know, we've got the typical Disney villain appearance. Typical um, Disney voice. <laughs> yes. Of just like, I think we can be like scary hot. Is the category. Yes. Also, same voice actor as Maleficent. They just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have a brand that they're maintaining. They also killed off the father. Right. That was not mentioned in the IMDb summary. Dad died very soon after getting married. Just to further remove him of responsibility. Mm -hmm. Disney main characters cannot have parents. That's not allowed. Because how could you ever be a hero if you have healthy familial connections? No, no, no. Um, yeah, I think 
I think Lady Tremaine's interesting in that, like, she is sort of, she's got, like, the color-coded villain thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, she looks a little scary. Her her decor is, like, a little intimidating. Yeah. Um, her cat's named Lucifer. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're definitely, we're definitely doing the, like, hey, kids, this is the evil character. In the third one, when she gets the magic wand and she uses it, her magic is green because Disney is lime green equals mean. Yeah. I notice also her eyes are, like, aggressively green. Mm-hmm. It has, like, movie. sort of, like, a glow to it. As if she is evil incarnate, mm-hmm. like, walking around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got we've got our basic Disney villain formula working here. Um, we also have our very, very consistent grown woman hurts girl because jealous of beauty narrative yeah. here because it's like really really clear in the movie version that cinderella is really pretty and that that's a threat to lady tremaine because she needs to get her daughters married and that she's jealous also personally and that's why she treats cinderella this way yeah like anastasia and Drizella, they're awkward they have like a bright purple dress and a lime green dress and it's like lady tremaine if you think your daughters are so terrible get them a better dressmaker um <laughs> and like i don't know stop get the redhead out of pink just a suggestion uh, <laughs> the whole plot could have been avoided if we had just color coordinated like eight percent better yeah um, Honestly, Drizella, yeah. she's okay. I think she she's doing okay. Maybe get rid of the puffy puffy sleeves, but she's okay. She looks like <laughs> olive oil from like the Popeye cartoons. <laughs> really, something that I noticed, it does feel like the stepsisters are almost in a different animation style. Yeah, like, they are. This is, yeah, they seem yeah, more because like Cinderella, early cartoony. Exactly, and like it is a bit odd to be like they're so cartoonish when you're watching a cartoon, but I don't know how else to phrase it because Cinderella and Lady Tremaine and everybody else is like very regal, except the and king. Very, like they're attempting to be realistic. Yes, that's true. Except the king, um, but like the stepsisters and even the king like looks a little like goofy, silly. But I think they're like trying to give him this like soft look. Mm-hmm. But the the stepsisters, they're like very heavy handed with them being like. Almost like oafish. Yes. In their design. Uh huh. Yeah, like I, I was noticing the lines around their face or around their mouths. It's like they have like yeah. weird like jowls almost. It's it's strange. It, it's yeah. a completely different animation style almost. It's it's almost jarring. It is. It's really really strange. It's really, really heavy-handed. And, like, Disney is the one that made them ugly stepsisters, right? Because they weren't... The, we don't call them that in the original fairy tale. They were like, oh, these girls are bad. Like, we need to not like them. So what do we do? We make them ugly. I know. It's like, they might have been called ugly, but it was more of an ugly on the inside, not, like, actually ugly. Yeah. Yeah, and they do this in a couple ways. We have that scene towards the end of the movie where Cinderella is, like, ready to go to the ball. I actually have no idea if it's towards the end of the movie, but at some point, uh, where she's ready to go to the ball in, like, her initial dress that the birds made Oh, her? yeah, yeah. Question mark? The pink dress. That was her mother's. Yeah. Or something right. like that. Right. And and you wrote in here in the outline about how the, the, the stepsisters, like, tear it apart. Yeah. Yeah. 
that it, it it's just it is the women versus women and it's like all right oh cinderella is coming oh not only did she whatever i don't remember what it is it's not clean the lentils but it's something like that <laughs> and uh like, but she also made this beautiful dress and she's more beautiful than us. And, oh, well, that's my ribbon and my pearls and blah, 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 blah. And it's all things that they had discarded and they were going to throw away or not use and things like that. And it's a real tragic scene. It's what makes her cry and go out into the garden where the bippity-boppity-boo happens. Um... And she wouldn't, she wouldn't have the fairy, fairy tale if that hap, didn't happen. And I really, it's, it's so traumatic, and it makes the stepsisters almost worse than Lady Tremaine because it's not like she's there going, "Get 'em, girls." Uh, it, like I think she does sort of point out that it's like, "Oh, Drizella, those are your pearls." But it's not like she's the one saying, take them back, or something like that. I, I'm pretty sure it's just them, just like mine. And it could be like geared towards children, so the stepsisters are sort of like toddlerish, like very gibby uh, based, and like that's mine, so I shall have it, and you, I have no concept of sharing. Uh, so that could be a lesson that they're trying to teach. Um, but um, that's a very generous thought for the 1950s. <laughs> mm -hmm. And for Disney. <laughs> Maybe even today. Yeah. yeah, it was like, it really kind of brings to mind the imagery of like cat fights, which is like just yes. an upsetting, <laughs> misogynistic rhetoric. But, like, that scene really does feel very kind of animalistic mm -hmm. and is very strange. And um, and I, I don't know. It seems a mix of, like, well, the stepsisters don't really seem villainous enough on their own. Like, we've made them ugly, but I suppose we should make them cool as well or, like, show that they're ugly on the inside as well. Um, yeah, because I feel like without that scene, they would be comedic relief. But with that scene, it's like, yes. I don't care what happens to them now. They are mean. Yeah, that's a that's a very good way to put it. Because, like, there are plenty of, like, women who are portrayed as ugly who are comedic relief. Like, that's also a trope in media. But we want this to be the villain, clearly, and, like, them to fall into that category. I think also, like, their design in general is so over-the-top and heavy-handed. Like, maybe even more so than Lady Tremaine. Mm -hmm. In that, like, when when we get to the scene where they're they are trying on the slipper, it's, like not even gonna fit on their toes it, it's like if i tried on a toddler's yeah. shoe it feels like it's not like a close fit they, it feels like one like a, a one of those seven dwarves put putting their feet into a slipper i that's the style yeah. of like comedy animation it is and it's mm -hmm. it's sort of gross um <laughs> yeah yeah it was so weird and and another thing i really noticed was I guess it's the Duke who is, like, bringing the shoe around to mm -hmm. have them try on. Like, he's, like, really eyeing Drizella and Anastasia when they want to try on the shoe and is sort of, like, already has it in his head that it's not going to work. But then Cinderella comes down the stairs and he's like, oh, you. Like, yes. Yeah. 
this makes sense. And all of that is just like, yeah, the characterization of the ugly stepsisters in this was like so gross and weird. And like, it does make me feel so sad for like every little girl who like didn't have blonde hair and blue eyes who watched this. And like, not that they of course looked anything like these like, like horrible caricatures, but like when you're a small child and you're picking your favorite Disney princess based essentially on hair color, um, and like that's even for white girls because like brown and black girls had no mm-hmm. options. Like if you look more like the stepsisters in these wide strokes, like the messaging of that is so odd and weird as well than like white supremacist, of course, because like it has to be in some way. Well, there is even controversy about the color of Cinderella's hair in Cinderella. Because it's red sometimes. Because it's red sometimes. Because when they made Cinderella 2, shout out once again, (laughs) when they originally made it, it, they made it blonde. Or she was perfectly blonde. And now they've re-released it and she's more of a redhead. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's very red and sometimes it's pretty blonde. Like when she's in the pink dress, it's more red. And when Mm -hmm. she's in the blue dress, it's more blonde, I feel. And it seems like it's just like like tone changes i felt like the use of color was like a wild in this um movie in general yeah yeah like they really they were kind of going like wild with color anyway yeah Yeah. well like even her dress like they say it's blue honestly i think it's white (laughs) yeah it's it's like got like a blue kind of crystal sheen over it like it's like Like glass and crystals yeah yeah or glass but yes Right, because the shoes look quote-unquote blue, but we know that they're not literally blue. That's how you create the appearance of them being glass slippers. And her dress is the exact same. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of arguments to be made about this movie, both <laughs> <laughs> on every level. <laughs> um, Quinn, you pose the question, is Cinderella actually kind? And that is a, that's a good point. Because is she? Yeah, I, I think she's just not saying anything mean (laughs) yeah yeah she leaves her her family she's just like (laughs) pliant right right because kindness and like not that you owe your abusers anything right like separating it out from that argument but like kindness is like giving back afterwards like treating others better than they treated you kind of a thing. Like, if that's what you're positioning them as. And Cinderella does not do that. Like, we don't see her again, right? Yeah. Like she goes She's kind to life. the mice. There's no argument there. Um, I just don't... Yeah. I, maybe it's because we don't see her with actual humans uh, that much, other than the stepsisters mm-hmm. and her stepmother, and she doesn't have any real reason to be kind to them. Um... Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, she she doesn't do anything other than what she's asked, you know? Yeah, and like. She's the definition of a quiet quitter. Yeah, she really is. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, there's just not much to her. Like, what does Cinderella even want? Yeah, I, I think she wants to go to a party and maybe she wants to see she's sad about her mom but i don't know what she wants to do about it um <laughs> yeah it, yeah it, it's she's, she's really not much of a protagonist mm-mm. not much there 
And maybe that's why she ends up with the prince. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Because, like, he wants somebody in that kind of role. Yeah. God. I think I think Lady Tremaine's a protagonist in the sense that she's, like, actually pushing the, the story forward and her actions are. And eventually she fails. Like, she doesn't come out successful. But that's not exactly what protagonist means. Um... Yeah, and, like, comparing her to Cinderella, like, she is a much more fleshed-out character. Like, I could tell you what she wants. Yes. She has a very clear goal. And honestly, Cinderella getting married to the prince should be a part of that goal. She did not fail. One of her daughters got married to the prince. Yeah. She just maybe should have had the foresight to, like, be in that daughter's good graces. Yeah. But, you know, you win some, you lose some. And if you have any ambition at all and you're in a Disney movie as a woman, you will lose. <laughs> Definitely. Um, do we have anything else to say about this movie? Um, other than I wish Disney would uh, give some love to Anastasia and Drizella both at the same time. Yes. Uh, I think Anastasia gets a... Cinderella 4, here we come. Exactly. I think Anastasia might get, like, a romance with a baker in the second one. I didn't finish the second one. My mom was supposed to text me about it, and she didn't. Um. (laughs) Disappointing. I was waiting for that. Uh. But, uh, yeah. I think... I think she has something like that, but I'm pretty sure Drizella does not get a redemption arc in either terrible sequels. So that's wonderful. Thank you, Disney. Green means mean, after all. I can't differentiate them. I don't know which is which. Drizella is in green and has black hair. Anastasia is is in pink, or purple, and has red hair. Okay. That's good to know now after we're, <laughs> after we finish. <laughs> I'm glad I waited till right now to bring it up. Cut that into the beginning. <laughs> so this movie was boring. Um, yes. Lynn and I were texting about it, and we don't actually think it's good. Mm-mm. Are we Are we ready to leave Walt Disney behind and um along with the 1950s and their sensibilities about women yeah. and talk about our feminist retelling yeah let's do it yeah so we read a book for this episode whoa whoa, whoa. what is this yeah I, I we haven't really used committed. that skill for a long time <laughs> <laughs> reading <laughs> yeah so we're going to talk about the 2019 novel Stepsister by Jennifer Donnelly. I'm thinking I pronounced that right, but apologies if not. Um, I really like when we cover books as feminist retellings. I know, it's really fun. I feel like we're shouting out people. Yeah, and my instinct is to be like, we should do it more often, but I know well what our schedules look like, so we're not going to commit to that, but we will do it when we can and when it's exactly. appropriate. <laughs> like, I think, like, for the, mil- or no, what was it? I don't know. The, the Ursula episode. I read a book. No one else read a book. That was fine. 
Yeah. Yeah, when and where we can. Um, <laughs> we are going to be talking about the James Bond universe in the nearish future. Like, it'll happen next year. And uh, we are going to read a lot of books of that. Yes. I really don't know if I can guarantee you anything ahead of that. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be like a strange form of torture that we've decided to put ourselves through. But I'm excited about I it. I know. I'm really excited. <laughs> I have a Bond encyclopedia next to my book I've been tagging. Whatever. <laughs> We're going to be so ready for it when the time comes. Um, so we'll see you in 2023 for that. But yeah. for now, I'm going to give a quick summary of this book plot. I lifted this off of Goodreads, so credit to them. I, in general, love Goodreads. Um, Isabel should be blissfully happy. She's about to win the handsome prince. Except Isabel isn't the beautiful girl who lost the glass slipper and captured the prince's heart. She's the ugly stepsister who cut off her toes to fit into Cinderella's shoe, which is now filling with blood. When the prince discovers Isabel's deception, she is turned away in shame. It's no more than she deserves. She's a plain girl in a world that values beauty, a feisty girl in a world that wants her to be pliant. Isabel has tried to fit in to live up to her mother's expectations, to be like her stepsister. To be sweet, to be pretty. One by one, she has cut away pieces of herself in order to survive a world that doesn't appreciate a girl like her. And that has made her mean, jealous, and hollow. Until she gets a chance to alter her destiny and prove what ugly stepsisters have always known. It takes more than heart heartache to break a girl. That's a, that's a hell of a book blurb. It is. Uh, so should we have a spoiler alert? Because yes. if you haven't read it, yes. uh, we're going to be talking about this plot in entirety. If you do want to read it, mm. um, I'm sure our conversation will not make that reading experience terrible. Uh, and if you yeah. want to read it with absolutely no spoilers, then stop listening for now. I don't know. Skip ahead. <laughs> yeah come back come back to us and finish this episode once you've read stepsister um yes i think i would recommend it yeah i yeah. would too i think it has some issues that we can talk about um mm -hmm. the ending is a is a bit disappointing there's um, an undercurrent of militarism yes uh that we don't love yeah, but other than that, very good, good retelling, fun, fun read. Yeah, it was. Okay, so let's jump into it a little bit. The, we're going to start where the story does, the stepsisters harming themselves in order to fit in with the slipper, which, by the way, genius writing decision to open the story there. Yes. Very good. Yes. Um. Yeah, so I guess because this is the Lady of Tremaine episode, we can kind of start by focusing on the fact that in the story Lady Tremaine the character who is called Maman am I saying that right? Maman like Mama. yeah like so you don't pronounce the N yeah it's French you don't pronounce the last letter <laughs> okay so Mama, <laughs> she is quite literally forcing them to cut off pieces of their feet in order to fit into the slipper like it's mm -hmm. not it's not like this outside pressure or anything she's like putting the knife in their hand um 
And it's a very, like, visceral, I will say, like, trigger warning. It's quite graphic in the book, so, like, be aware of that if you're going to read it. Yeah. And, like, she's going in and out of consciousness. It's very, it's it's very well done and well written um, and very dramatic. It is. And it really captures, I think, the moment that all of us, when we, like, hear the Grim Fairy Tale, are like, wait a damn minute, are we just going to skip over the fact that they were willing to, like, cut off part of their feet and, like, not address it at all and, like, go into depth or talk about that? And, like, it's just a passing note. But, like, when you really sit down and think about that, like, that is an insane, insane thing for them to be in the in the position of. Because, like, these are girls, right? Like, these are not full-grown adults who, like, have autonomy and can make decisions. These are young women still being and cared for by their mother, like, still dependent in every way. Um, and, like, presumably pretty young. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a wild position for them to be put in. Yeah, and they think that they think that's the only choice they have. It it's really it's it's a very well done sort of section of the book where you're just like, oh my god, what what's happening? What's happening? Ha ah, ah. ha! And you understand every character that's there. Um, maybe not Mama all that well at that point uh but you still see where she's coming from just because of all what we have talked about before like this is a modern book so you sort of go in with that sort of understanding like this woman is after status and this is how she thinks she's going to get it uh so she's already sort of that morally gray sort of figure where it's like, I yeah, you can see where she's coming from. Um, but then even the the stepdaughters, you don't, or as what Isabel and Octavia, I always forgot. Mm-hmm. I kept forgetting Octavia's name. Um, yeah, they like you don't know them yet, but you can sort of see where they're coming from already. They're just like, I have no other option. My mom's standing in front of me with a knife and telling me that this is what I have to do. And my sister already did it. Uh, okay. I gotta do this. Yeah. And, like, Ella's reaction is just horror, and the prince's reaction is horror. And throughout the books, or the, throughout the book, whenever someone recognizes one of them as, like, oh, you're one of those girls who cut off their feet to try and get the prince... It is very much, it's something they're shamed for. Like, people don't understand what they're coming, or why they did that. And I don't think, is there a moment where they have to explain themselves to anyone? Or I feel like most of the people that they end up being friends with sort of just inherently understood at some point. That they were just... abused there is yeah exactly um i think i think isabel does say to felix why she did it um at some point felix is her love interest for those who have not read it um i think that there's a big undercurrent in the book about how when you and this is a concept that i find very interesting of like when you already fit well into society when you are already the expectation of what you should be you have a lot of ignorance 
and that these girls, Isabella and Octavia, and some of the other people that they meet, learn the very hard lesson that, like, yes, they have been ostracized for, in their case, being perceived as ugly, but even more than that, being perceived as, like, wanting too much and having interests that they aren't supposed to have and just not being good little girls the way it was very easy for Ella to be. Um, it helps you to wake up and realize what is wrong with society. And, like, Cinderella... Well, it's not Cinderella in this story, but just Ella and the prince are, like, beautiful people who easily fit the gender roles that they're supposed to and find each other, like, quite naturally and in this, like, grand romantic way that everybody loves. And so they never, they're just horrified. And they just leave it at that because they don't have any, they just, like, can't even wrap their heads around or understand the systemic abuse that led to them making the decision to, like, mutilate their bodies. Whereas, um, the girls... And some of the people they meet are intimately familiar with failing on a social level and knowing that, like, these, this is the cost. And, like, I'm going to do this because, like, being desolate and alone because I haven't gotten any other proposals is worse. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's the, that is actually the decision I'm weighing here. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's and very then, like, the, then the book goes into, like, how they got into that position. It's, like, Isabel, the second of the other ugly stepsisters, uh, the one that served as the main character, she, like, had, like, it's served phrased as, like, she has these pieces of her heart that she has lost. So her mm-hmm. first love, who was sent away, and her horse that was sold... And her stepsister that she was so cruel to. Uh, these are all pieces of her heart that she has to get back in order to be, uh, like, I, blessed by the fairy queen. Uh, <laughs> I don't know really under uh, like other way to sort of say it. Like she has yes, yeah. There's a fairy queen that tells her to find the pieces of her heart. I feel like the book, because like, that's sort of one thing that we don't see. We don't see the treatment of um, the stepsisters to Ella, like when when they are, when they are being the quote-unquote ugly stepsisters, like during the part of the story we know, because this book takes place after um, the happily ever after uh, for Cinderella. Uh, we do not see how Isabel and Octavia and Mama treat Ella. We, we aren't there for that. We sort of just hear how sorry Isabel is. And when Ella comes back into the story, she also sort of says how sorry she is for everything. It, it's, I don't, I didn't like Ella. I didn't like that part of it. What did you think of... So, in this story, uh... Uh, so, the boy is, uh, her... Isabel's love interest is going to get, uh, his family gets sent away. His family gets fired from the farm or whatever. And so he's gonna have to find a new job. And he proposes to Isabel, come run away together. I'm going to leave a message to you in the nook of our tree. uh, And then we'll meet up in the woods sometime and run away. And he left the message. Isabel never found the message. 
Uh, she went on for years thinking that he abandoned her and because she's ugly. And then when she finds the boy again, uh, he's just like, no, I left a message. And Isabel assumes that her mother had seen him leave the message and took the message and hidden that from her. And she couldn't blame her mother. And she sort of like immediately forgives her mom and they sort of get over it. But then when Ella comes back into play, Ella's is like, actually, I found the letter and I destroyed the letter because I always had a crush on Felix. I hated that. Yeah, it, it was a weird way to like introduce the concept that like Ella also is a victim of society and like being the standard is not as good as it's made out to be and things like that. Which I think is, like, useful and could have been done well, but, like, I mm-hmm. I don't know why we had to have, like, a roundabout way of saying that. Like, I don't know why we couldn't just have that conversation. <laughs> like, I don't know why she couldn't have, like, destroyed the letter out of just, like, je- jealousy of, like, Isabella's attention. Like, maybe, like, oh, like, you and Tavi always were, like, close. Like, why? And I wanted to be close. I don't know. It was very strange, yeah, to, like, put a man in mm-hmm. the center of this, like, and considering how little Felix has to do with the story at large, it seems, it was very annoying that he was sort of just put at the center. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything, nearly everything about Felix really annoyed me <laughs> in this book. Um, He doesn't start out too rough. Like, his, like, initial, like, reintroduction into Isabel's life, I was, like, fine that's kind of cute or whatever but then like very quickly he just becomes useless to the plot and like frustrating yeah when he showed up again at the end i was once again livid i texted you when he enlisted and i was so pissed and then after he enlists and breaks poor isabella's heart um, he's still in fucking town? He's just in town? Ooh, I feel like that was a plot hole, and, uh, yeah, that I'm was sorry, weird. what's her name, Jennifer? I'm sorry, Jennifer, I, I noticed it. You sent this boy away, and he's still in town. Yeah, I think, I think you and I both share the same, like, major issue, um, with the plot, and it was, like, so there's a war going on in the background of the entire story. And they're, like, France is losing the war very badly. There's, like, this undercurrent in Isabel's, like, heart, psyche, whatever, that, like, she wants to fight. And that she knows she's, like, a better warrior than, like, the average man who just, like, signed up out of obligation. Because, like, she actually has, mm-hmm. like, a warrior's heart, which seems to be some tangible thing that people do and don't have in this universe. Um, right, and so, like, you expect there to be, like, some sort of, like, warrior moment for her later in the book, but then, like, really, really out of left field, her Mm -hmm. love interest Felix enlists, and previously it's been established that he's an artist. And not only an artist, a useful artist to the war effort. He's making prosthetics. He (laughs) has no reason to enlist, and he voices that he has no reason to enlist, and that he's actually more valuable outside of the military before he enlists. And then out of the clear blue sky, he just says, nope, I'm going to go to the front lines tomorrow. And then he fucking does it. And he's in town next week. I, mm, 
<laughs> yeah. And when when we find out that the reason he's not in the war effort is because he's an artist and he's, like, being useful in other ways, he, he kind of says, like, I tried to sign up and they won't let me. And then he, like, begs and pleads and begs and pleads until finally they're, like, fine. And he very much is like, I'm not a fighter, so I know I'm going to get killed. And, like, the, the absolute nonsense that this book seems to say is bravery of, like, knowing that you're going to not be useful, but then, like, giving up. Like, you dying means that all of these people won't have things that they need. It's, like, so absurd. And, yeah, like, the way that this book positions war as noble is just, like, very odd. <laughs> and it was, like, the, yeah, it was just, like, a weird, weird distraction for, like, an otherwise very well-written yeah. feminist novel. Uh, there's a book called The Summer Before the War, and it takes place the summer before World War One, And it's actually a really, really good book. Until the end, when the main guy enlists, and the entire time, like he's sort of like in the throughout the book, he's talking about all like, and it's like, oh my god, I hate you, I hate you. <laughs> it's, it it it's a very frustrating yeah. thing that happens in books with wars. It's just like, oh yes, to be in the army that is always good. Yes military forever good honorable thing and even if throughout the book before this this is stated uh it, it it's proven time and time again maybe not <laughs> maybe there are other ways <laughs> yeah 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 it is odd it's like this thing of like rather than women becoming equal in getting to have a say and so changing the way in which things are done and like bringing a new perspective it's like women become equal by joining yeah. the current culture yeah. which is like war and that is like not so useful yeah. or interesting <laughs> yeah because like by the end uh like it spoiler alert isabel becomes a general and then she becomes like sort of like the right hand man of the queen or the of the king, sorry, because of course, uh, and, <laughs> but it doesn't say like I think she's the only woman in the army. Like it's not like we hear about any large enacting rules that she has done, or or Ella has done, or the prince that I I think he I think he's named Charles, um. I don't remember exactly. I feel like his name was Charles. We never we never meet him, so it's not important. The prince then king. Um Yeah, I we don't what are the over I could I yeah. I feel like is it, Isabel doesn't do much. Um I guess to the larger world. She changes her personal life. Um but then the other characters that are like Monsieur Chance, or whatever his name is, uh, he actually changes the whole whole world and society. He's like putting some improv into the life because in this universe, there's like what the fates basically. There's Mother Maiden Crone that they write everybody's fates, and there's this guy called Monsieur Chance who stole Isabel's scroll of life 
and uh, decides to mix things up a bit and help her change the way her life is written. Uh, and at the end, he steals a whole bunch of scrolls, implying that he's going to sort of mix things up for a lot of other people. And while throughout the, the story, they're very clear to be like, Isabel has to be the one making these choices and making these changes, or like, and making sort of the, the, yeah, the changes to her life story. Um, Mr. Chance is, is having a big hand in that <laughs> while being hidden, I know, but still there is, there is some, some other guy's hands at, at work. Yes, I did. I did really enjoy the book. And I think that the book's strength is in the two stepsisters, yes. like slowly becoming themselves, and that is that is a large mm -hmm. majority of the plot. It's like a very internal journey of Isabel and Tavi sort of banding together, and discovering and re rediscovering and reclaiming who they were as children. Which for Isabel is like a very active, very fiery, very like leadership oriented person, and for Tavi is like a very intellectual. I love um, cheese curious person i loved yeah. tavi was my favorite character i think because even more than isabel she seems to make a 180 and tavi mm -hmm. sort of does it on her own she just sees isabel's doing this and is like oh okay this is something we can do i've done i've been able to do this the whole time okay cool yeah yeah honestly because isabel's still like vying for marriage and things like that and tavi at a certain point was just like i don't want to be wanted like i don't know where you got that idea but i am happy to like draw my um scientific figures and like math equations in the dirt and have to like harvest cabbages if it means that i still get like my books or whatever and like that's a trade that i'm comfortable with making and it takes isabel so much longer um, and so Tavi's, like, just a background character of being like, hey, by the way, like, young women can do this of their own accord, like, they don't need <laughs> these outside forces was, like, a very mm -hmm. interesting subplot as well. And the sister's relationship really strengthens. Oh, wait, I did remember. There are some overarching changes. They make it so all women can be educated in the Kingdom of France. Yes, is cool. which is a very good goal. Do we want to talk about what we're taking away from the evil stepmother slash Lady Tremaine slash Mama? Yes, I think we're there. Do you have an answer? Ugh, it's so hard. I want to take like understanding. Like, I don't know. It's so hard. It's, it's hard to be like, yes, marry for wealth. But sometimes when the situation calls for it, that's the only thing that need, that you can have. That can happen. I understand where she comes from not loving love. Yeah. it Yeah, it is difficult because the, the lessons aren't maybe that applicable at, like, face value. But I think maybe, like, prioritizing yourself is something that she is good at. Mm -hmm. And that I think in general, more women and people who are socialized as women and misogyny-affected people need to internalize is, like, you're like you're very much told to be a martyr but that is like not useful and not actually helpful for anybody um least of all you and that like it is okay like selfishness gets such a bad rap in society and i think especially in like american society but like you 
you're the only one who's going to put you first, so, like, maybe somebody should. Yeah. And the thing is, Lady Germaine doesn't put herself first. She puts her daughters first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it's even, like, just prioritize, like, your interests. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Be they what they may. (laughs) Ooh, I also want to mention retellings Ella Enchanted. Duh. Oh, love Ella Enchanted. Yes. Just a... There you go. Fun version. Watch it. (laughs) Yeah, Ella Enchanted's very good. But, I mean, that wraps us up, and we're gonna, we're saying goodbye to fairy tale land. We're gonna have a bonus episode that comes out next, but that's just gonna be nonsense. Yeah. And then we're on to superheroes. I love that you could describe it as nonsense. I feel like most of our episodes are nonsense. <laughs> yeah, less structured nonsense. <laughs> oh, we're gonna, ha- we won't have a three-page outline. <laughs> it's just gonna be like, a, like a single question, and then it's gonna be like, talk. Yeah. So. So look forward to that. Um. The Monsters Woman podcast is co-hosted by Quinn Albert and Megan Peterson. Produced and edited by Megan Peterson. And our social media is run by Quinn Albert. Follow us on Instagram at the Monstrous Woman Pod. We will link all our socials, our Patreon, and our Redbubble store below if you would like to see more from us. And you can email us your thoughts, feelings, and opinions at themonstrouswomanpod at gmail.com. Our cover art is by Tyler Peterson. We are distributed by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. And for the making of this episode, we pulled from Cinderella, a story originally created by Chinese women in around 850 on the Silk Road. It was written down and popularized by the Grimm Brothers. Disney's 1950 film Cinderella. Stepsister by Jennifer Donnelly. And How Cinderella Lost Its Original Feminist feminist Edge in the Hands of Men by Alexander Sargent. Uh, The links for everything will be on the show notes.